Hallelujah. Let's jump right in. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 3 through 6. I'm reading in the Holman Christian Standard Bible. I think you got a new King James. I'll read with you guys. For this one, that is Jesus, has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was a faithful servant all in his house as a servant for a testimony of the things that which would be spoken afterward. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast to the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Amen. Whose house we are. <clears throat> I grew up going to many different churches many different buildings that we would congregate in. I know I, I started out as a baby going to the vineyard, and uh, then we went to, uh, I went to a Baptist school, and then we went to all these different places and, you know, kind of tested the waters everywhere. And, and church to me, because I was in so many of them, was defined as a building, as a building with pews and music and coffee shops and all the great things. And um, I remember being 13 years old that uh, one day, and I asked my dad, can we go to church? And he looked at me and said, son, you are the church. And my first thought was, that's very strange, because I'm not a building. I don't have pews. I don't have music playing inside of me. I don't have a coffee shop. I don't have all the nice things that we affiliate with the modern word church. And so I started to dig deep into what he was saying. <clears throat> Excuse me. I started to dig deep in in what he was saying, and I started to wonder, what is, what is he meaning by this, that I am the church? And I began to read in the scriptures about us being the body of Christ and us being the church and us being his bride. And so I got in this whole mindset that we got to get out of this, of this theology that church is the building. And that's what I wanted to preach to you today, that church is not a building. And as I'm going through my notes and as I'm going through the scriptures and as I'm praying, I actually learned through my through my studying, that church is a building. But it's not this. It's you. Read that again for me. Just verse 6. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast to the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end, whose house we are. Amen. That word in there <clears throat> is household. And the Greek word for that is oikos. Sounds like a person from Boston trying to say orca. Oika. Oikos does not mean household in the Greek. It means a house and a place of dwelling. And if Jesus says we are his house, hold, what he's actually saying is we are the place he dwells. We are the church. This is not. This is a building. You know what they were going to do to this before we bought it? If, if we didn't buy it, they were going to turn it into a gym. This building would be a building with or without us. But when we come together, and when we come in the name of the Lord, that is church. You are church. We are church. We are the building that God is building right now. Amen. Hallelujah. God chose to manifest his house as many different things. You can take me out of the monitors just to touch, please. <clears throat> God chose to manifest his house as many different things in the Old Testament. It started off as a tabernacle, and that would be the place where Moses would usually go to meet him, and they would call the tent a meeting, and they would go from camp to camp and, and take it with them. And then God manifested his presence through the Ark of the Covenant, which was actually taken, you know, captured by different, different countries, and then they regained it and lost it and regained it and lost it. And then finally, God said to David, build me a house. David, build me a house. David didn't do it. So his son did it. And I love this. At the commencement and dedication of the temple, Solomon, David's son, sacrificed 120,000 lamb, 120,000 sheep to dedicate this temple. And in this temple, there is a place called the Holy of Holies, and it is the deepest place of the temple that no one except for the high priest can go. And he would go once a year to atone for his sins and for the sins of Israel. And he would stand in a dark windowless room and, and, and take the blood of, of a sacrificial uh, animal, usually a lamb, and, and swing it and swing it. And he would pray and he would atone for the sins in the holiest place of that temple. 
Now, fast forward to Jesus' ministry in John chapter 2, verse 18. And before, we, before I read that, I just want to say there's a parallel that wherever the house of God is, there must be blood of the Lamb, right? Wherever God chooses to dwell in his house, there must be a blood of a lamb for you to be able to go into it because there are certain rituals that people have to go through to get to the place that they choose to enter. And some people aren't even qualified to go to different places. The high priest is the only one who can go to the Holy of Holies. And, and actually in Hebrews chapter 3, I, for some reason I forgot to put this one in there, but earlier in that verse it, it calls Jesus our high priest and our apostle. And, and I think it's so awesome how theologians have referred to our body and our mind as our spirit as the outer courts, the inner courts, and the holy of holies in the temple. And the holy of holies can only be accessed by the high priest. So the temple that God is making you is the dwelling place of the high priest that is Jesus. Amen. So let's, uh, let's go to John chapter 2, verses 18. So the Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you show us since you do these things? Is right after he just chased them all out with, out of the temple with a whip because they were selling sacrifices. And Jesus answered them and said, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, the disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus said. Jesus is referring to his body, which he also refers to you as, as the temple. He wasn't referring to a bunch of stones stacked on top of each other. That was the old covenant. The new covenant is you are the temple. So who is that? Who is the lamb? Jesus is the lamb. Who is his body? You are the body. Why are you able to be his body and his temple? Because you are the only place left on this earth with his blood on it. You're the only place that God can legally dwell. Because it has been made holy by his blood. Amen. Let's go, let's go a little further. First Corinthians uh, 3.16 says, Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the spirit of God lives in you? God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. You are that temple. This is a building, but you are a temple. Amen. God is the builder. We are the building. Church is not where we are, it's who we are. Amen. We far too long found our identity in the building that we've created rather than the building that God's trying to create through us and in us. We far too long try to find our identity in that. We priority prioritize the the building over the body. So we need to do some bodybuilding. We need to build the body of Christ. We need to put the body over the building. Amen. I want to preface what I'm about to say with something. I, I got three points um, that I want to hit on about three harmful things that happen when we, when we associate our identity with the building rather than the body. And before I say that, I want to preface it with this. God has blessed us incredibly with this building. It is the supernatural favor of God that we are able to sit right here. This, this, the, first of all, even, even the rock school, you could have stopped there and said God's favor is on us because that building was condemned. No one would take it. No one would sell it. No one would give them a loan. And somehow the bank comes through. And then we go to this building and somehow the bank comes through and, and God's favor has been on us because we've been faithful to what he's given us. Amen. God is faithful when you're faithful to what he's given you. So I'm not saying that this building should be taken for granted because God has blessed us with it. But this building should not be the focus and the object of your ministry. We get so comfortable and so spoiled rotten in the American church that it sickens me. That we, we can't even... We walk into a building when, when, when we decide what a church is. And I'm not saying this is Solid Rock Church. I'm not saying this is your hearts. I'm just speaking to the church in general. We walk into a building, and the first thing we ask is, where's the coffee? What kind of seats do they have? What color is the carpet? We don't, we don't like carpet anymore. That's old school. We want hardwood. 
Is it laminate? Can I spill my drink on it? Are you going to get mad at me? Is the music good? Do you have good sound equipment? How's the preaching? Is he going to make me feel convicted? Or is he just going to apply everything to my everyday life so I can live my blessed life? There's a preacher. You can play a little bit. Play with me. Let's go. I was excited for you. There's a preacher. There's a preacher, a pastor, I'm sorry. He was a pastor of one of the largest churches in America. <laughs> he, he decides to launch his church, and upon launching his church, hundreds of thousands of people begin to accumulate over time. And in about two years, he has um, over, I think, like 20,000 members, just members of this church. Not regular attendees. These are members. And he has this great coffee shop. And he has a full-time barista working on the coffee shop. The barista's only there one day a week, and he's paying him full-time to make coffee on Sunday mornings. And this pastor walks into church one day, and he says, you know what, we're too spoiled. We're too spoiled. And so he makes the executive decision without telling anyone on a Saturday night that on Sunday morning, he's going to go up to that coffee shop himself. He's going he's gonna to fire that barista as a barista, tell him to join the worship team, and he'll pay him to do something else. He locks the doors, and then, then people come in. And the people come in on the Sunday morning, and they start scratching their heads, and they're confused. And they start asking questions. And he says from the pulpit, just letting you know, we're too comfortable. We're too spoiled. We're not going to have a coffee shop anymore. Next Sunday, one half of the 20,000 members were gone. 10,000 people left his membership. 10,000. When you have people in these countries who will stick a 10-gallon jug of water on their head and walk eight miles just to get to the assembly of their brothers and sisters in Christ, set the water down, feed the children, take care of the widows, take care of the orphans, pick that jug right back up, and then go right back to home, eight miles back. That's what that means to them. Because their identity is not in a building. Their identity is in the building that God has created them to be. What goes on outside of this building is just as, if not more important, than what goes on in it. We are equipped for the ministry in this building, but we are equipped for the ministry, period. Not the ministry of solid rock, not for your personal ministry, not for the ministry of your food pantry. These are all great things, but when you come together, it says you are equipped uh, for the ministry. This is for the equipping of the saints, for the ministry. Which ministry? The great commission of Jesus Christ. It's universal for every church you go into. Every church has their own vision. Every church has their own mission statement. Every church, every building has, has their own thing. But you are equipped for the work of the ministry, not this ministry. And very harmful things happen when your ministry is only associated with what goes on in this building. And I'm going to go through them now. Number one, limits. Crazy thing about buildings. In case you didn't know, buildings have ceilings. You can't have a building without a ceiling. It would be against fire code. It would be against any code. And if it rains, you'd probably all run to your cars. But this building has a ceiling, and most churches do. And as long as you're associated with what goes on in this building, and as long as you're associated with this building itself, the highest you'll ever be able to go in your life is as high as that ceiling allows you to go. And as far as you'll ever be able to go is where those double doors stop you. That's as far as you'll be able to go. But when you associate with the body, and you decide to assemble with the body, not just those who assemble in the name of a church or a preacher or a pastor, but those who assemble in the name of Jesus Christ, that body, buildings have ceilings, but bodies have heads. And the head of the body of Christ goes from glory to glory to glory to glory and he is limitless so when you put your faith and you put your identity in him your limits are crushed 
You don't have to worry about where the door stops. There's a sign out there right when you leave the parking lot at the very edge of our property. It says, you are now entering the mission field. That's the ministry you're being equipped for. We need to get out of this mindset that God has only anointed people to preach on platforms. That God has only anointed us with the gift of healing so that we can have healing services in this building on a Sunday night. That's just a foreshadowing of what he's about to do in your personal life if you just let him do it. Second harmful thing that happens when you associate with the body, it is 11.07. I got plenty of time. Did I just give away that I have a clock up here? Uh, busted. <laughs> Come on. Okay. We have allowed the world's culture to misconstrue and redefine our church culture. You can see it in our music. You can see it in our preaching. You can see it in the way how we dress. I watched, I watched a 70-year-old preacher dress in skinny jeans and a denim jacket the other day and, and with, on a video. And the video had a 90s VHS uh, filter on it, just like every other video you see going on in churches now. And I wanted to puke. It was pretty gross. If you are a senior citizen, you don't, they, skinny jeans don't make you cool, I promise. We'll relate to you some other way. We love you just the way you are, I promise. But we have allowed the world's culture to model our church culture. And unlike the world's method of promotion, um, God's method of promotion and establishing a hierarchy has nothing to do with longevity. It has nothing to do with seniority. And so I started a job um, on March 29th in 2019, this year, and the, the gentleman I work with, his name is Matt, love him to death, he's been there about two years longer than I have, and there's about to be a district manager position to be open. Well, you can assume that right off the bat, since he's been there longer and he knows, you know, way more than I do, that he's going to get that position. That's expected. That is not. Check one, two, there we go. That's expected in the world's culture. The longer you're here, the more faithful you are to your company, the more you get promoted. So I'm expecting that. And we take that mindset and we take it into church. And when someone who walks in the building that you've been serving at for 15 to 20 years walks in the building and God speaks to the leader of the house and says, she's the one I want for this position, He's the one I want for this position. It's really easy to get offended. It's really easy to get offended when, when we are upset that certain people get a chance to preach when you have a chance to preach seven days a week. I went to the Ramp School of Ministry in Hamilton, Alabama. It was where I met my beautiful wife and, and uh, Mr. Richard here, who is one of our spiritual fathers. Um, hey, that's me. Uh, <laughs> that looks cool. And I, I went for one year uh, as a worship major. And I, I can promise you this, I learned a lot, but not nearly as much as uh, you're going to learn when your hands are on it. You know, you can't, there's just some things that just can't be taught. You just got to learn. Um, but I was only there, and I, and I would say I, I was not qualified to be a worship pastor. That, that was something that would be eons away. And I come back from one year of ministry school, and my pastor sits me down and says, Son, I heard the Lord on this. You're my worship leader. 20 years old. James Michael, how long have you been a drummer? 11 years. I was nine years old when he started drumming on this stage for this team. And I'm 20 years old. I sang maybe, I, I actually, I did sing on this stage before I went to ministry school. I sang two songs before I left because I started in the summer. The first song I sang, I got right here. This is just a funny little side story. I got right here. 
Anthony, Anthony uh, auditions me, and he says, you know, I like the song you auditioned with. Why don't you sing it this Sunday? You're on the team. I said, okay, that's great. And I didn't take the preparation that I did because I just I procrastinated. And so I didn't learn the lyrics. And if you look right there, we have a screen that tells us everything that we're saying and that we're supposed to say and that, you know, the scriptures and the lyrics and all that. And I get up here and I sing the very first verse and the projector explodes, just combusts into nothing out of nowhere. That, that was my experience. That's the experience I had under my belt. And I come back after one year of Bible school, and he says, you're my worship leader. Can you imagine the horror that they had to experience of hearing that? Nonetheless, the horror of me having to go through it. I was terrified. What an honor. What an honor to lead you guys. But you guys have led me in what you're doing and in, in your submission and in, in your, not even your submission, just your heart of honor for each other and for your, for your God and your house, that it has led me to go with you guys. And so thank you. But it was very hard. It was very hard. It was not easy. Not even from, from people on the team, just people left and right that, that just say, mm-mm. I think you missed him on this one, Pastor. I think you missed God. I don't think you heard him right. Because we have developed this, this mindset because of what we see in our workplace that young people are just not qualified to do anything. I heard a woman say in our ambassador's meeting the other night, she said, I don't understand it. When kids have a gift to speak, we say they're going to be a great speaker. When kids have a heart to heal people, we say they're going to be a good doctor. When kids have a heart to tell the good news of something awesome that's happened in life, we say they'd be a great motivational speaker. But for some reason, we can't get in our heads that these kids are going to be the same ones that the Spirit of God gets poured out on, that the young men will dream dreams and the old vision. There's something in your young people. There's something in your kids that God is trying to pull out. And if we would just get this thing out of our head, that they have to be doing this for three years. And then you need to do this. And then you need to go to Bible school. And then you need to do this online course. And then you need to go through this growth track. And then you need to do all these things. And then somehow you'll be magically qualified to preach the gospel, to worship God. Worship is in the blood of every human being that has ever walked the earth. You don't have to teach someone how to do it. And we've developed this thing because we're so wrapped up in our identity here in the building that we've created rather than the building that God is trying to create through us. I will say this. We're in a, we're in a series called God's Generals, and we need to honor God's Generals. We need to honor the ones that have been in the fight for decades. There are some people in my life. I, it's hard to see out here, but I, I'm sure they're out here. Mac, I love you. You've picked me up when I couldn't pick myself up, truly. And I honor you for staying in the fight, for not quitting. We need to honor those because God honors those who have been in the fight for a long period of time and not throwing the towel. But it's not always easy. Not for him, not for any pastors you see that's been in it for any amount of time because we as church people just don't make it easy for him. I want you to turn to Hebrews verse 13, 17. Christ is the head. Christ is the head. But he chooses to place people in key roles in his body. Now, maybe you don't think the fingernail has more importance than the hand. The fingernail doesn't even move. So you might think, if I'm just a fingernail and, and so-and-so is the hand, I'm not important. But the hand can't go to pick something up and be guarded properly without the fingernail. 
And Paul is, Paul is saying, I don't have the scripture up here, but Paul said in one verse that, that how could the foot say to the hand, I don't need you? How could the eyes say to the ears, I don't need you? For if we just had two eyes, our sight would be useless if we didn't hear the words that God is speaking. Every part of the body is needed, though some seem to have more effect. But everyone is needed. And those that God chooses to put over us, to lead us, is what I'm about to talk about in Hebrews 13, 17. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not grief. Here it is. For that would be unprofitable for you. Let them do so with joy and not grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Why is that? Because they are watching out for your souls. They are fighting for you. Everything that ministers do, that, that I do and that we do, and that the people that you see on these big stages, we don't do it to run successful ministries. We do it for you. We don't do it to have a, a higher advance in our salary. We don't do it to have fancier lights in the building. We do it for you. Everything we do is to try to get in your spirit that there's a dying world that needs you. So while you're out there in the fight, I'm going to fight here. and I'm going to watch out for you and tell you how you're supposed to do this and show you what God says about it. If you would just listen and get it in your spirit and give it to someone else that needs to hear it. The struggles that ministers face every day are not for the benefit of our own souls. They are not to have a notch under our belt with every hand that is lifted to receive Jesus. It is simply surrender to what God has called us to do. Amen. Let them do so with joy and not grief. In other words, lay off. Let them do it with joy. And not grief. Amen. Can you imagine being a shepherd? That that word, that word pastor, point of and shepherd. Can you imagine being a shepherd? And fighting off all these wolves, risking your life, cutting up your arm, getting your clothes ripped, your staff is broken in half because of the fight that you just fought for these sheep. For these people only to return to the flock and have them take the joy out of you and give you grief when you just risked your own life and your own soul to fight for them. I know that's not the heart of this house. I've never felt anything but love from Solid Rock Church, but there are pastors that are committing suicide by the droves every year every year. You, you may only hear about the big ones, about the big names that are doing it, but it happens all the time. We are taking the joy out of their life. Why? Because we put this building on priority over the body. Buildings don't have heads. Bodies do. The head of the body is Jesus. And if you try to put a pastor where Jesus is supposed to sit, they will fail you every time. He will fail you every time if you put him at the head of the body. Because we are imperfect people. Just trying to do it right. Trying to please everyone. Trying to make sure everyone is loved equally. Trying to take every text. Trying to take every phone call, every email about, about your sister's next birth cousin, whatever, who has a fever. And God forbid we can't juggle all these things and satisfy you. Jesus is the only one who can satisfy you. And we've told these pastors, you can't quit. And I, and I, would, I would say, no, pastors shouldn't quit. I remember it was, it was weeks into my first couple, yeah, a couple weeks of, of leading worship, and Pat Chatsline had a conference here. And I was leading worship, and 
worship was over and he's preaching the gospel and I'm sitting right back there and Pat's walking back and forth like I am now. I don't know why preachers do that, but we just like to get some exercise in. I wish I was wearing my Fitbit. And he's walking back and forth and he is talking about something completely irrelevant to me, completely irrelevant to what he's about to say, but he just stops. He says, Austin, you don't get to quit. Weeks in the leading worship. The hardest weeks of my life where I thought the whole world was against me, where all the joy was gone, where there was nothing but grief, where the excitement for what God is going to do in my life is gone, that you don't even see the vision that he gave you anymore, that the dreams that I used to, I used to just wake up from my sleep and say, God, you gave me this dream a couple years ago. I want it again. I want to see it. I want to see what you have planned for my life. That wasn't me. The joy was gone. He said, you don't get to quit. And the sad thing is that, no, we don't. And so instead of these pastors who have no joy left, who are getting nothing but hatred and grief from those that they are watching out for, they feel like they can't step away. They can't take a sabbatical. They got a flock to take care of. They can't quit. So the only way out is to take their own life. And because of this, the body of Christ is literally cutting off its own limbs. Because we've put a man where Jesus is supposed to be. And if Jesus is never supposed to let us down, then how are you going to feel when you put an imperfect person there and he lets you down every time you expect him to be perfect? I remember my mom... She's here, by the way. My parents are here. Hi, Mom. Hi, Dad. We used to watch this show called The Walking Dead on Sunday nights. I loved it. I don't care if you think it's too gory. I was a kid. We had nothing left in common. We used to play tennis together, and I fell in love with football, so I didn't play tennis with her anymore. So we finally found something after all those years. And on Sunday nights, we would watch The Walking Dead. And we loved it. We'd talk about it. And we'd call each other if we weren't together. And we'd just say, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And eventually the show just got really boring. And we were like, well, what do we do now? You know, the season's over. Next season isn't supposed to be too good. So we started watching, <laughs> God love my mom, the Philadelphia Eagles play football. Because that's my team. And she knows it. They had a horrible team. <laughs> and it was Really hard to watch the Philadelphia Eagles play. And I was watching in the 2010s era where Michael Vick was the quarterback. And I know that a lot of you know his story. Uh, he was playing for the Atlanta Falcons. And he got caught uh, allegedly um, purchasing fighting dogs. And horrible thing to do. He went to prison for a few years. And he, he openly repented to the public. Openly confessed, like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There's so many things that people don't get caught for what they're doing that would blow your mind. But and I'm sorry, I'm admitting this. And he couldn't express enough his sorrow for what he had done. And the, even though the seasons were terrible, even though the games were lost and we get blown out every time, the most heartbreaking thing was that me and my mom literally could not watch a game without shedding a tear. Because this man who gave everything for his team, everything, would get behind the line of scrimmage, take a snap, and you'd watch the very people that were supposed to watch out for him, the very people that were supposed to protect him, the offensive linemen. He'd snap the ball. Every play. Do you remember that, Mom? Every play. They did not care about him. And he'd, he'd get destroyed by, 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 by these giant robotic men and he'd get right back up and he'd pat his line on the head and say, let's go, we got this, we can do it again. We're going to win this game. We're going to beat this team. We're better than them. Come on, I got you guys' back. Just cover me. Go! Floored. Every time. Can you imagine? I feel like that's a lot of pastors that are staying in the fight that have openly admitted, I'm human, and I'm sorry that I've sinned in this way. I'm sorry 
that I've hurt you in this way. I didn't know I was doing it. Will you please look out for me? I'm trying. And it's time to hike the ball. And we sit there. And we let every devil in hell walk by us and go straight for the man that God has called to protect us. It's just as easy as texting your pastor every day and saying, not even every day, just do it every once in a while. Say, I love you. Thank you for what you do. You know what your words do? Your words are so powerful. Delane, can I borrow you? Please. Yeah, I need you. Come on, brother. Yeah, come on. Let's go. Can someone hold this microphone for me? Come on, brother. We're having a party up here. I'm going to show you the power of your words. Delane, I'm going to be honest. You're not a very good teacher. I don't, I think you kind of fall short a lot. And I don't know, I, I feel like you've really hurt me in the past. And I don't, I don't really appreciate the things you've done. And I, I just, I don't, I don't, I think my, my esteem for you is dwindling. And I'm sorry that I have to say that. All right. Try to, try to keep my arms down. Try to keep your arms up. I got to make sure. Delane, I said you weren't a good teacher because you're a great teacher. You're the best teacher I know. And there's not another man in this world that I would have lay hands on me and ordain me as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that was the highest honor I've ever received, I promise you. Before I ever, ever, ever even thought about being ordained, the first time I, I, I stepped on the stage to receive my first uh, graduation diploma, um, ambassador's first year, I said, I want Delane McCurry to ordain me because I trust you. You're an incredible father. You're an incredible teacher. You're an incredible preacher. You are winning souls. God is changing the world through you, and I thank you. When you speak life into someone, they can fight harder. I still need you. I still need you. I still need you, Delane. I still need you. When you speak life, you're putting an edge into someone. You're putting a fight into someone. And I remember, and I, I was that was that was a, a little trick I learned at the Ramp School of Ministry from a man named Stephen Womack, and he did that to just about every person in the classroom, and it blew my mind. I watched a scientist literally take a, um, a little droplet of ice and put it under a microscope and say, I hate you to this drop of ice, and it would melt. But he said, I love you to the same size, and it would start to look like a snowflake. <laughs> it would start to flourish. It would start to, to grow. It's the craziest thing, the power that God put in your words. Amen. But your leaders, let them do what they do with joy and not grief. I want to I wanna revisit something in the Old Testament. You can stand right here. Thank you. I meant what I said. I love you. There's a man you probably heard of him, and his name is Moses. And Moses, and, and I didn't study this scripture too much. This is, I don't know why, uh, but I forgot who they were fighting. But Israel was fighting somebody, as they do, as usual. They're always salty. <laughs> They're fighting. And God, and Moses is standing on a mountain watching the fight, and he's watching Israel go to war. And God says, if you take this rod, you take this staff, and you hold it up, as long as you keep this in the air, Israel will win. As long as you keep it in there. That's all you got to do. And, and if it was me up there, I'd be like, hmm. <laughs> win. Win. Lose. Win. Loose, and I have too much fun with it. I bring some like, just like some suspense to it. Like you know, every movie ever that has a battle scene, it's always like they're doing great at the beginning, and then they're doing really bad, and just when it seems like all hope is lost, then the giant elephants come in and kill everyone. 
I, I just like dwindle it down to nothing. And then, just fire everywhere. And so he says, just hold up this rod and you'll win the battle. Moses was a great pastor. Moses was a great shepherd. Moses is an example to be followed, I would say. He wasn't just a great preacher. He was a great psalmist. A lot of the psalms in your Bible are written for Moses. And somehow, some of his psalms actually rhyme in English, which is really cool. I don't know how he did that. So he's in charge of doing this one thing. Watching out for the fight. And as long as his esteem for the Lord and in what the God has told him to do, Israel will win. He's watching out for their souls. That's your pastor. Fighting. Watching out for your souls. And this is what we've done in today's church. Because God forbid we get under somebody. We got to get over someone to excel. All right. I've seen it. You get as close as you can to the, to the to most esteemed person in the room. You get as close as you can to him. Be buddies with him. Be all good. And then you use him to elevate to your next level just so you can get noticed. And I see so much of this, and I hear it even from my own lips sometimes, and I repent. But here's what the church does. This is a pastor. Pastor. Got to talk, man. I know you're smiling, but this is serious. You're preaching way too loud. You're preaching way too loud. And I think me and my family are going to have to go somewhere else. You know, the, the seats used to, used to have hymnals on the back of them. Why don't they have them anymore? Do you understand what that means to our church? To our tradition? To those who have come before you? To the 18 pastors we had in the past 18 years? They never did anything different. You know how important that is to us? Put the hymnals back and put the green carpet back. The music is too loud anyway. It sounds better when we're all singing it. You're doing it wrong. Preaching about sin. You know, I brought my friend from work today. He didn't like what you had to say. I really don't appreciate that, so I'm just going to have to go somewhere else. And with every blow... With every strike, the battle that was being won is now losing. And you're in the fight. You're the one losing. Unprofitable for you, not him. There's men dying out there. He's just holding the rod. But he's been ordained by God to watch out for your souls. And if every time you push down, on that rod, just so you can get above him, you are losing and losing and ruining it for everyone else. So the only way for you to ultimately win is not to find someone and get over them, but as you see that hand start to go down, get under them. Get under them. Hallelujah. Thank you. Get under them. Come back. One more thing. You know what they said about you know what they said about sheep? Or about 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 shepherds, how they smell like sheep? You get it right here under your pastor? Yeah. You're gonna smell sweat and blood and tears and doubt and fear. Depression. Regret. Pressure. You're not just going to smell sheep. Thank you. That's good, brother. You're not just going to smell sheep. There's a lot of things you can pick up by your pastor. And if you get under him, instead of trying to use him, if you get under him and see that God has placed him, you can play Anthony. Just a little bit. God has placed him in our life. He's placed him in my life. He's placed so many people in my life. 
to watch out for my soul. My father and my mother being one of them, Mr. Richard being one of them, Pastor Larry being one of them. People who I will not in a million years use because ultimately, if you're winning, I'm winning because you watch out for me. And we don't do it in the name of winning. We do it in the name of advancing the gospel. The fight we're fighting ultimately is already won. If you're in this room and you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can throw in the towel. You can. You can let the rest of your family go their whole lives without knowing the gospel. You can let the guy sitting next to you at work eight hours a day never hear the name Jesus. And you can throw in the towel and you'll win. But the heart that Jesus had was not for himself to win. He's the best pastor you'll ever find. Why? Because he said, I am the good shepherd who lays down my life for my sheep. He laid down his life. He said it in his gospel. You're not going to take it from me. Those who yell crucify him. You're not going to take it from me. I'm laying it down for my sheep, for my people. The greatest man to ever walk the earth. The only one we could call perfect. Made a decision that I don't think anyone in this room would make, including myself. Can you imagine the courage that it took to get on a cross and have his own father forsake him for our sake, for our ability to approach him, for our ability to be his body, to be his temple. His body was destroyed, right? He said, destroy the temple. And they did. They destroyed his body. And when he rose again on the third day, it wasn't just his body that was restored. It wasn't just his fleshly body. It was us. The body of Christ was built. Amen. Third point. Last one. And I have 20 minutes. You're welcome. The third thing that happens when our identity is found in this building is sponge power. That's the only word I could find for it. Sponge power. Sponges are powerful. They don't do much. But put one in a sink that has about this much water in it and leave the room for 30 minutes, you come back and the water's gone. It is soaking right up. Much of today's church is like a sponge that just soaks everything up that they get on Sunday and they never release what they received. You must release what you have received because the equipping for the work of the ministry is not for your own good it's for the good of those around you if you're just walking around ready to explode and throughout the week you come on you leave church like this and you get in your car you sit down a little bit of water falls out and Throughout the week, sitting in the sun, you start to dry up and dry up and dry up and dry up and dry up because this water that's been in you has now become stagnant and you start to get moldy and you start to smell really bad and nobody wants to use you or be around you. What you have received, you are meant to release. The world needs it. I heard a a great quote. I got two of them I'm going to share with you. A teacher's success is not measured by how much he knows, but by how much his student knows. The success of a pastor or a preacher, or I'll put myself in there as a worship pastor, my success is not based on how good we sound. That's the last thing we want. We don't want you to come up to us and say, worship sounded great. We could have bought tickets to Hillsong and and listened to their million-dollar equipment at the BJCC, and you could have said that. But in this house, worship is not supposed to sound good. When we say things like worship sounds good and the music sounds great, we're actually taking what we're using to worship God with and making that the object of our worship. 
My goal as a worship pastor is not for you to hear me. It's for God to hear you. My goal as a worship pastor is not to show you all the great songs that I can sing. It's to light a fire in you to to sing forth out of your belly straight to the throne of God. Because you have a song in you that I can't sing that God wants to hear. There's a song in every single one of you that is flowing right now that God is trying to pull out of you. And the only thing we know how to do is, oh, the overwhelming. And the projector cuts off. We're like, whoa. What am I supposed to do now? Just like me, standing up there, ready to go worship God for the first time ever. The lyric cuts out on the screen, and I look like a deer in a headlight. Because the object of my worship had become what I was using God, using to worship God with. And that's what happens when we have our identity here in this building and not this building. The one dwelling in this building are just people. But when we come together and the God that is in every one of us who have been washed in the blood of Jesus come together, he says, I'm among you. I'm there. He's here. When we leave, it'll just be a building. And the world can do whatever it wants with it. But when we're together... That is church. Amen. Another quote I want to say from, I believe it was Pastor Frankie Powell, who said, a good leader does not make followers. A good leader makes disciples. I don't want you to follow me. Yes, I want you to follow me if we're both headed, headed to Jesus. And God has appointed me or any of these pastors to lead you. But are you following in the name of your leader or are you following in the name of Jesus? And I see so many, like, I'm literally, I, I see my, these young pastors who I know who have launched churches in these different, uh, these different places, and they just go hang out with people. And they, like, post about it all over Facebook and all over Instagram, like, got to hang out with this person today, and they're coming to church with me and all this. And I'm like, are we, are we operating and are we following in the name of a man, or are we operating in the name of Jesus? Are we idolizing a man and putting him where Jesus belongs? And I have. I've done that. I've done it with my own, myself. I've tried to sit on that throne. I've tried to take that place. And God, in his gracious love for me, just takes me right off. Because we don't belong there. What good is all of this? if the world never experiences the love and power of God that you feel here, what good is it to keep it secret from everyone else who needs it? If I found the cure to cancer, well, I would go to UAB hospital first and tell them to do something with it. But I'd tell the whole world. Wouldn't you? If you had the cure to some incurable disease, and God bless you with this information to cure it, you tell everyone. But we believe, or we say we believe, that there's a gospel that is being preached here that can save the sinner, that can take someone who's bound to a wheelchair and have them stand up for the first time in 15 years, and we keep it a secret. God wants to use you in your workplace. God wants to use you in your household. God wants to use you everywhere you go. But we're only concerned about him using us here when everyone's watching. We got to get out of that. God does not live in this building. He lives in you. And right now we're here to be equipped for a work that needs to be done. It needs to be done. This world needs Jesus. And Jesus chose to dwell in us. You are the house of God. You are the temple of the Spirit. There's greatness in you. Truly. I know you hear it all the time. There is greatness in you. There's greatness in your humanity. I know you've been told that you just have to depreciate yourself in every way just because you're a human. I get it. We're fallen. We're dust. We're nothing. But you realize that God created the world and gave dominion to humans. 
He gave it to humans. He gave everything that we see and we compromised it. But Jesus had to become one. Not only just to atone for our sins, but in order for him to be the king of the world, he has to be human. Because the dominion was given to humans. So if God has that much esteem for his creation of humans, that he would cost his own son to be one, to die as one, and to be raised up as one, and to rule as one, then what do you think he has in store for you? Not to depreciate you, but to make you a son and a daughter, just like his own son. close with 13 minutes left with a story. About two years ago, I was working for my father's company, Media Visions, and we were, I was a grunt, they would call it. I didn't really do much. I just, well, I did a lot. I did a little bit of everything, and, and that was my job. It's just, you just nod your head and do what you're told, and you go run this and do that. And I was at the lowest of the totem pole in this warehouse that I worked in and the industry can be so dark sometimes and, and it wore on me. I would have someone who's supposed to be leading me, a manager, literally call me, name me every day off of what drug it looked like I was on. And then he'd call me everything in the book that you can name that I obviously won't say here and make me this this big on a Monday morning make me this big and then I have to come here on a Monday afternoon and lead people who are twice my age who know more about this than I do and I'm supposed to be their leader when I feel this big I felt horrible I would come home horrified and angry, and depressed, and mad at the only person who was there to hold me up, my wife. I take it out on, on, on everyone around me, and I was sick of it. You ever just get sick of it? You get fed up? You just want to explode? So on a Tuesday morning, I go into work, same old, same old. As soon as I walk in, just instant disparagement, instant, just harsh words for the second I clocked in, and I wanted to explode, and I was ready. I was ready to take my stand. I was ready to be a man and prove myself to these people and show them I'm not just a little kid. I can, I can do it too. I can get on your level. I can do it too, and they're pushing me and pushing me and pushing me and pushing me until I'm this close to the edge. And I'm ready. I'm about to let him have it. And God says to me, son, let me defend you. I was ready. Let me defend you. And so I didn't do a thing. As usual, I just let it happen. And I carried that weight. And I just became smaller and smaller. And that night, I went to Ambassador's Bible College when I was still a student. I was a third-year student. And I'm sitting in class, and I get a phone call from my manager, the same one who made me feel this big. And I felt instant anger when I saw his name on my phone. And so I said, Delane, i got to step out. Uh, my manager's calling me. This might be an emergency, so I need to go take this. And he says, go ahead. So go ahead. And I go out in the hallway, and I'm ready. I'm ready to receive whatever he's about to tell me. And I flip the thing and I go, hello. And I just hear weeping over and over. He couldn't even say hello to me for three minutes. Just <gasps> Come on, man, what are you doing? Just <gasps> couldn't even speak. Three minutes go by. He says, Austin, if you pray, Please pray for me. You're the only one I know who follows this Jesus. You're the only one I know who's held on long enough for me to believe just for a little bit what you're believing in. Will you pray for me and my family? The people that are pushing you 
this close to the edge are not doing it so that you will fall. They're doing it to see if you fall. Because if you fall, then everything you've been telling them about your God is not true. If you fall, then the cure that you have for them can't really be the cure if it can't stop you from falling off the edge. And these people are literally, vicariously, believing in God through you. They're just not proud enough to admit it. But they don't want to see you fall. Because they know, I've tried the drugs. I've tried the sex. I've tried the alcohol. I've tried everything to fill this hole. And no one has given me anything that he says he can give me. I can't see it. I can't hear it. But he's walking just a little bit different. She's walking just a little bit different than I am. The thing that just happened in her life, her head should be down here. But she's walking with it up here because she knows who she is. Her identity is in something other than that I've identified with. I need to see if it's real. And they push and push and push and push till you're right here. And then the choice is yours. What do you do? Do you explode? No. Put up Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6. Whose household you are, I'll give you a minute. Hebrews 3, verse 6. If you hold on. If you hold on, mine says hold on, yours says hold fast. Hold fast to the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope, firm till the end. When you feel like you're right here and gravity is just pushing you down this mountain, there's a hand reaching out. You can hold on to him. He's there. At your deepest, darkest moment, at the moment where you want to throw in the towel, at the moment where you want to quit, if you just reach up, he's there waiting to defend you if you just give him the permission to do it. But he can't do it if you're just going to jump and call it quits. Amen. God wants to do a new thing in you. Not for your sake, for the sake of others, for the sake of a world who needs you. They need you. Young men, young women, they need you. Hold on. Hold fast. Don't give in. There's a dying world that is ready for you to release what you have received in the assembly of believers. That the equipping that you're being equipped with will not be in vain. That the world out there that needs you will receive the love of God. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Just bow your head and close your eyes. I haven't always done my best at preaching in the workspace. So this message was for me too. But I always want to give a chance and an opportunity for those who have not received Jesus as their Lord to do so. There is so much greatness in you. There is so much in store for what he has to do in your life, in your family, at your job. And he loves you more than any man or any woman will ever be able to love you. And he proved it with his own blood. And because of his blood, he's able to live in you if you would just receive it. So if that's you this morning, and you want to receive, not make a choice. Choices don't last. He said be converted. And convert and repent and change your mind about this man Jesus. And receive him into your life or rededicate him into your life. Would you just raise your hand? No one's looking. Just raise your hand. Amen. Okay. Thank you, sir. Hallelujah.
Thank you, young man. So I'll say this together in your own way. And if and if you're not gonna mean it, don't say it. But if you mean it, just say it in your own words. Jesus, we thank you. We honor you and we love you. We understand your sacrifice. That I am a sinner and I need a savior. And your blood is the only blood that will save me. So Jesus, I thank you and I believe in you. I believe in your sacrifice. I believe that you died and you rose again on the third day and that you will come back and take authority over this world. And I want to be a part of your body. So in Jesus' name, I receive you. I love you. And I will no longer live for myself. I will live for you, Jesus. I am a child of God. Amen. Someone give him praise in this house.